It's an odd story production. Hola folks and welcome to Be Back to Podcast. I'm your host B Shiva and I'm Vineet. So today's episode is something very interesting. We're going to be going on the journey we're going to be learning about how ethical homeware and apparel brand committed to supporting Indian artisans called Moinamaste. Why is this journey and the story so important? Because this is a brand that's number one committed to supporting Indian artisans. That is building a local ecology and building that. So that's one part. Second part, ethical homeware, which is primarily sustainable, environment-friendly homeware and apparel. The second part of the sustainable pie. And the third, they're building it for their own economic benefit. So there is a complete pie looking at all three pillars of the sustainable brand, and that's why it's so important to know the journey of Moinamaste. Now, who better to introduce our guest today? Very close friend and my co-host Vineet. Why don't you take it off? So today we have with us Indian Education and Social Impact Advocate, who is based out of Mumbai and Helsinki, Finland. Mumbai, India, and Helsinki, Finland. Listeners, let me introduce you to our guest Pukraj. She was program manager at Teach for India. Later on, went to Finland to do her masters in education. Post that, she was head of community and impact at Hundred, which is not-for-profit organization based out of Finland, supporting the K-12 education. Once her stint with Hundred was on, post that she started this brand called Moi Namaste, which tackles the malpractices in the fashion and the lifestyle industry. So, Pukraj, let us know what was your journey, how was your journey, what led you to start this specific organization, Moi Namaste. Hello, everybody. Thanks, Vineet and Shiva, for having me on the podcast. I'm very happy to be here. Um, the journey for Moi Namaste is quite long, and it's you know full of different directions that my personal journey has been on. So, as Vineet said, I have been a Teach for India fellow, then a program manager, which basically started my interest and passion for education. Um, and that's what brought me to Finland. However, when I started living in Finland and I have a Finnish partner, so there wasn't an option of really moving back to India. I started to explore other things that I wanted to do to celebrate Indian name and, you know, just Indian history and culture in this country, because unlike US or UK, um, Finland still has a very small Indian diaspora. A lot of the locals don't necessarily know the strengths of our country and what we have to provide. Of course, the classic way is to go into ed tech or doing something related with technology, because that's what most of the Indians who live abroad do. But I wanted to find an avenue where I was promoting culture. And given my Teach for India experience, I wanted to stay rooted in the development sector and empower the communities that are often marginalized. And that's how I chose to start working with women groups, which is, you know, the self-help women group concept in India, where normally 10 to 15 women come together to create a product and then they sell. And this is how they're able to make an income while staying at home or in their local communities. So I started working with two women groups. The more I've done it, I've started to love it more and more. And now we work with crafts communities from block printers to um, handloom weavers, as well as small women groups so that we're able to support both traditional and contemporary craftspeople. 
Um, so yeah, that's kind of where we are and how my journey in the past has influenced where I am today. That's that's a that's a very interesting story. And again, taking the offbeat channel as most of the Indian diaspora uh, outside India go towards the tech-based startups or tech-based initiatives and all that. I think uh, going to choose uh, something which also reflects the Indian culture and spreads it abroad is something I think a very a very uh, novel initiative. And I, I think that's a great journey, definitely. Thank you. Just listening to it, it's got it's got a lot of uh, interesting uh, interesting terms. I'm sure there are some one is of course important lessons that have been learned in this journey. And uh, what are the, some some of the key milestones or turning points mm. in this journey to what Moinamaste is today? Yeah, sure. So Moinamaste, the way we, I mean, it wasn't really a pilot, but the first taste of what Moinamaste could be was actually at my wedding. So we, a lot of the wedding guests received small gifts that were made from women groups across India. And when my Finnish family and friends were in Bombay, I even took them to one of the women groups after taste that's in Malvani slums. And we spent the day with them. And I got so much good feedback because a lot of people in Finland are so unaware of these amazing initiatives that are happening in small villages, small communities across our country. And most of the things that they hear is, you know, corruption, rape, this and that. So I, it was very fascinating for me to see them be very proud of what the women were doing and be very interested in supporting them. I wouldn't call it a pilot, but that's where the idea had sparked. And by the Christmas that year, which was 2019, I decided to do an actual pilot and reach out to the same women groups who had made gifts for our wedding and see if there's something they could make that I would test the waters in Finland and see how people react to it because you know family and friends always give good feedback so I wanted to get some idea from like a neutral setting and I got really good feedback at the Christmas market as well so I think for me like one of the lessons definitely come from there which is if you have an idea or if you have an inkling to do something you just have to start I was very clear from the beginning maybe because of my development background that I want to work with artisans I want to work directly with people who you know are not working in a factory or in some sort of unethical warehouse so I was very happy to partner with with women groups but that was for me like the first lesson was just you know somebody somebody knows somebody just if you have an idea start and then once we got the feedback I guess like within two months we had a website up we didn't start Moinamaste as a full-fledged business it was just a side hustle for me I had a full-time job at 100 so I was just doing my namaste over the weekends or the evenings it was more like a passion project but you know the thing with passion projects is that the more you do it they become overly like important to you and that's what happened with me so I think six to nine months in I started to think about doing my namaste full-time um that was, of course, a big milestone to leave a full-time paying job to become an entrepreneur. My father is an entrepreneur, but I never thought I had that in me because there's so much work that people don't understand that goes behind running a business and being responsible for a business. But that was definitely the time where I felt that, you know, if not now, then when? I am, yes, I'm married, but I don't have kids. I don't have any responsibilities financially. I don't own a car or a house that I have to pay installments. 
I don't have to pay for my parents' well-being. They're very happily doing good in India. So I felt like there was no reason why I shouldn't jump in and at least try. If not now, then when? I think I, I, I love that statement. Because, you know, like, if not now, then when is a phrase that is thrown around quite a lot. It's a very motivational, very inspiring uh, statement. Um but for me, then I also added up saying, if I fail, then I get another job. Like, I think ego comes in the way of a lot of, you know, people trying to pursue their passion. Like, fine, if you fail, at least you tried, right? And I think that was for me enough to be like, okay, I'm going to go and check out how I can grow my namaste, in return, stay connected to India, support artisans. And then if it really doesn't work, then we'll find a job. It's not that big a deal. We have to keep our ego in check. Yes. And yeah, so that's kind of the two big lessons and milestones that at least for now we have we have been through. We're just a very young company. <laughs> so hopefully there are more big milestones to come. Uh, from from what you what you're talking about, I guess it was a it was an Indian tadka to a white Christmas in Finland. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so basically, from where you're sourcing it to where, how you're getting it to Finland, from India to Finland and right down. How do you ensure that all this is still uh, keeping the whole thing sustainable in every sense of the word, both in an economic sense as well as an yeah. environmental sense? How do, you, how do you ensure that piece? Yeah, and I mean, that's a progress uh, thing, right? Like it's always work in progress. So the, for us at Moi Namaste, we call ourselves a people and planet positive um, club. So people who are interested in, you know, being part of an initiative of a community that wants to be people and planet positive, um, they definitely are welcome to support Moi Namaste and be part of our community. What that means is when we say people positive, I only work with established NGOs, and women groups and craft communities that are registered. Okay. And that's important to me because I want to ensure that fair trade practices are followed. So that means from like clean and, you know, decent working conditions to getting a fair pay. Most of the people that we work with actually give full salaries to the artisans every month. It's not a daily wage concept. It's not how many pieces you make. It's a community of women, a community of artisans that work together to create a product for whatever brand they want to work for. So there those pieces, there's no child labor, there's no forced labor, there's no discrimination based on gender, sex, religion. Those are the things that are very important. And I think you can't be people positive. People just often stop at the money aspect of it. But if you're discriminated at your workplace or if you're not feeling heard or valued, like it doesn't matter how much money you're making, right? And it applies to us in big companies working in the cities and it applies to small women groups and small enterprises, social enterprises across villages and towns of India. So I think that's something we definitely check. And I'm pretty sure there are some unregistered groups that follow these practices but as a company to be able to stay transparent and to be able to hold accountable if something goes wrong we mostly work with established NGOs and registered women groups so that's kind of like the people positive thing from a consumer side we also promote a lot of mindful living initiatives like yes we're a company that sells products but if you don't need a product don't buy it 
And I'm very open to saying that may be counterproductive when you're trying to hit your sales numbers. Um, but at the same time, I don't think mindless consumption is the way this planet is going to have a better future. Yeah. So that's kind of from a both consumer and producer um, point of view. Yeah, so Pukhrat, what I wanted to understand in our past few episodes, we spoke about greenwashing, where companies are actually putting the green label to be, you know, sustainable, environment friendly sort of thing. Yeah. Now, since you are doing this uh, awesome work initiative, you know, which is actually helping the artisans at the ground level, mm. grassroots level, and how is this communicated to the audience in the Nordic countries? Right. Because the fact is, since we are on this podcast, we understand the story. I know you since very long time. So I have seen your journey, mm-hmm. but somebody who is coming to your website for the first time or at your pop-up store, right. which you will be having in about a few hours for the first time, how do they connect? I mean, what is it that gets people together? Yeah, no. And I think it's just being honest and transparent because Shiva, what you said in the in your first question as well, right? Like, how are you sustainable in every possible way? I feel like that's the destination. We're not there yet. So, of course, when I bring products from India, we're such a small company that we can't ship, even though we all know shipping is much more carbon neutral or like carbon friendly than sending things by air. So I think it's more about just deciding what you stand for and then explicitly communicating it. Yes, you will not please everybody, but... At the same time, you just have to go for it. And I think that's what has worked for Moi Namaste. Like I have been very transparent from everything. Like I created the website to whenever I go to India, like showing behind the scenes, interviewing the women artisans, always tagging. The good thing about nowadays is that a lot of these women groups and NGOs already have an Instagram account. So if I'm making a product with an NGO say with this women group aftertaste in Mumbai, like I'll always tag them. I'll give the credit where credit is due. You're working with Shalini Tatta? Yeah, I am. I am. Yeah, I know her. I know her. Ah, small world. Perfect. Aftertaste, I know. I've bought a lot of their products, in fact. See, so now you know, right? Like yeah. you trust them. So I need to, I only work with people I trust. Absolutely. If I can't trust, if I'm not 100% sure if you really care about the artisans you're employing, most likely I won't work with you. I'll try it. But if I don't, like it's a lot of gut feeling as well. Whereas with Shalini, even I know her since the fellowship days, we did the fellowship together in 2010. So I think for me, it is all about like, I need to be transparent about my journey, but I also need you to be transparent. And if there are any makers, because you go to Jaipur, there's so many places that will make bags and pouches and dresses and this and that, but you have no idea how they're paying the employees, if they're really nice to them. Often you don't even know where the fabric was block printed. So if there are those transparency issues, then I don't mostly, like I wouldn't work with those people. I mean, that's my commitment to people positivity, that it's transparent, you know exactly who made your product, you know exactly the organization or the self-help group or the NGO that I collaborate with. And then, of course, we make sure that all the fair trade practices are met, even though we are not fair trade certified or the women groups are also not fair trade certified because it's extremely expensive to get a certification and maintain a certification but at least you know behind the scenes that's what we are checking for 
and just to kind of close with the planet positivity thing as well um what we do is at least at this point all of our products have been made from either recycled materials or dead stock materials or natural materials we kind of commit to saying that so for example it's easier with examples we use um vintage indian sarees to make clothing which yeah. is really helpful um from an in- environmental standpoint because most of these sarees would go into landfills or will be burned india is the second largest textile producer of the world so we have enough textiles that go to waste that is just easier to burn them than do something with it so what we do is we rescue sarees from these little shops from little warehouses across you know gullies of delhi and jaipur and then we create them into clothing and it's done by the women groups that i collaborate with um similarly in in orissa we work with a group of women artisans that make baskets from sabai grass so that again is completely eco friendly it's grass that is grown in the kind of river belt in bulk and it's very easy to you know just dry it you can dye it in whichever color you want and make ropes make baskets make different um, accessories with it so it's again like naturally um once the use is over it's still recyclable and it's kind to the environment so we don't use any plastic we don't use any we are doing any metals or any stones we want to make sure that you know there's no unethical labor that has gone behind it to get um those materials again some of the times you have no idea like if you get a thread from somewhere or you get i don't know a tassel for a cushion cover like you don't necessarily know where the tassels were made and how they were made but i'm very proud to say that at least for all the products we you know we question we keep working to get better um so that we are as people and planet positive as possible great So Pukraj I think you've had a lot of lot of good information that you've given to a lot of our listeners so can I quickly ask you three short quick tips that you want to give our listeners three short things that people should just go for yeah i think first is you know what i said in the beginning if not now then when to simply put if you have an idea if you have an inkling that solves a social or environmental problem if you're interested in social entrepreneurship just try like start small you don't have to be the next apple or adidas or whatever like start in your community um and test the idea and see how it fares and if it excites you then go for it um the second tip would be remember sustainability is a process it's not a destination i think there's a lot of of course there's a lot of greenwashing just because someone says i don't know 100% recycled material when you really look at the tags of the clothing like for example right now h&m vero moda all of these companies have so many clothing which has 100% mate- recycled material or like organic cotton shirt and then when you look at the label it's like 49% organic cotton and 51% polyester so let's just be smart about it like ask questions um but also don't give up hope because it is a process every company every person every i don't know like even governments are trying to get greener it's not something that we have done naturally in the past but i definitely see the trend so 
keep asking questions, keep believing, and then of course, keep acting. And the third tip, I mean, I feel like it's kind of already in these two is just to, you know, like find your purpose. I think for me, I have always been extremely clear that I want to be useful in other people's lives. Like that's been my motto from the time I started Teach for India. I didn't know how I was going to help those kids, but I figured it out. At this point, I'm still figuring out how I want to help Indian artisans, especially women artisans. But, you know, I think it's so close to my purpose that I know I'll find a way. So I think it's good to find your purpose and the way you do it is just by trying many, many, many things. So I would say those are the three big tips or I don't know, I tip sounds weird, but like recommendations to think about. Yeah, thank you, Pukraj, for sharing this vast amount of knowledge. Because in the past, listeners have reached out to us. People have told us in private that uh, Vinita and Shiva, you guys are talking about sustainability, scalability, resilience, and everything. All this is very word of mouth, or you know, it's just talk talk. How do you get a checklist or a guidelines or anything in place? And that's the reason we did one of the mm. episodes on guidelines on sustainability. And frankly speaking, with your story, I can rightly say that once the thought process is in place all right everything falls into place like you know you have an interest and passion for education you wanted to celebrate the indian name you really wanted to help the artisans at the grassroots level and the way you created this entire brand moi namaste specifically for the nordic countries and i'm sure that this will expand across europe and around the world uh, this is very commendable piece i mean this is something uh, which our podcast theme for season two stands for and thank you for being with us and thank you for having this as a theme you know because there are so many new people new businesses coming in this space but often you feel like you're alone or nobody cares about it so thank you both of you for of course having me but also talking about this really important topic as you said if not now then then exactly <laughs> for all our listeners i think that's a statement you all have to take if, you, if you're thinking about when do you get sustainable? How do you get sustainable? Start now. Start small, but start. And if not now, then when are you going to start? And I think that's the perfect time to close for us. We are available on uh, this this episode and all our past episodes are available on uh, the Apple and Spotify uh, podcast platforms. Search for Be Impactful. That's B-E space E-M-P-A-C-T-F-U-L. That's creating impacts with empathy. And thank you, thank you, Pukraj, thank you for uh, sharing your thoughts with us and your journey. And with that, Vineet. And as our bumblebee says, see with your heart, listen with your mind, spread your wings, fire and white. Bye. Bye.